flower exhibit displays feeling of home country and ecosystem through Mr. Zinfran's art and some environment challenges on everyday life of Mongolia through Hawcock's photographs. It probably isn't every day that the average Taiwanese person thinks about Mongols, but the issues this exhibit explores about home and what makes a home are universal ones. And there's a place right in their backyards where they can learn what home means to Mongols. The exhibit's Nudel, or Migration, runs at Taipei's Mongolian and Tibetan Cultural Center through June 30th. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And today, I really feel honored to be speaking with Aline Bai, who is a project manager at the American Megatrend Bios Company. Yeah. Okay, gosh, I, you know, I'm not techie, so I, I can't even say these things right. But anyway, Aline um, is from Taiwan, though, and um, she graduated from uh, Minchuan University just four years ago. And uh, she was in actually in China for the last three years, and she's been back in Taiwan for a year. Um, and um, she's been thinking a lot, doing a lot. <laughs> she um, actually, a lot has changed in her life for the last, what, maybe a, a year or two. Yeah. She's now a minimalist, environmentalist, and a vegetarian. And I'm really curious about why and how she became all that. And so let's meet Eileen. Hi, Eileen. Hi, Shirley. Yes. <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, you actually graduated from Minchuan with a major in business management, was it? Yeah. Right. And then uh, after graduating, you went to China. Why China right away after graduating? It's like um opportunity that just came. So I just seized the opportunity because I wanted to like try something new. I knew that I would wanted to go abroad. I'm not sure like where exactly I wanted to go and this just opportunity just came so I went there and I learned a lot when I was there as well. You mean not just about a job, but about the country and uh, the the environment and the people? I mean, yeah. have you been to China before this? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. But it's just for a short term, like, I don't know, like um, five days or something. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about China? Wait, you were in Shenzhen. Yes. It's a very uh, flourishing um, city, actually, itself. Yeah. The place where I lived, it, it was totally different from the city center, I would say. Oh, so, okay. yeah, it's like um, in the suburb area. And it's just full of people and people from like different places in China and like different kind of education level and stuff like that. And yeah, you, you sometimes feel very overwhelming when you are there because, uh-huh. yeah, you just see it's like totally different from the life in Taiwan. And you just see like factories everywhere and air pollution and stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's quite different. And if you go to the city center, it's also quite different because you see like skyscrapers everywhere and not, not like Taipei when I come back to Taipei I only see the only one skyscraper <laughs> is Taipei 101 right okay. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I feel like it's quite 
yeah, it's quite different. So you just, mm. yeah, it's quite overwhelming. Because you are a city mm. girl, right? Yeah, I am. How long did it have to take you to get into the city from where you were working? Um, so where I was working, it took maybe like 15 minutes by taxi to get to the metro. And then from the metro, it's probably like 40 minutes to get to the city. Oh. So yeah, it's around like an hour. About an hour. Yeah, yeah. about an hour. Oh, I see. That's yeah. not too bad, I guess. It, yeah, but... But did you have time yeah. to get into the city, though? Not really, because I was working like six uh, six days a week uh-huh. and about like 12 hours a day. Uh-huh. So it was, yeah, it was pretty tough at the beginning. But you hung out for three years. Yeah, so I was like trying to, trying to arrange my life, trying to do like work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So... I think um, the thing that helped me to do that it was dancing. It was something that oh. like a yeah, it's like lifesaver for me. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, and I heard that you actually took up salsa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are there a lot of people in China that's learning salsa? Yeah, actually, actually, yes. Really, yeah. the the older people or the younger generation? Um, like the age range is is quite variety. All right, so then you came back to Taiwan now. When did you start having this mindset of like, you know, caring about the environment and becoming a minimalist and vegetarian? I mean, how did that all happen and uh, why? Um, so it all started when I, I think the first seed that started to grow in my mind, it was uh, when I went to Bali the first time. Mm. Um, so I went on a vacation by myself. I oh. went there. Yeah, when was that? Yeah, it was like two or three years ago. Right. Yeah, everyone imagined like the beautiful beach and like sunrise, sunset in Bali. Mm-hmm. So I went there and then I saw the sunset. It was very beautiful, but I also saw there were like some spots on the beach. Mm-hmm. So I took a picture and then I posted on Facebook and my friend just asked me like, oh, what are those? Are those birds? Uh-huh. And then... Those spots, said, right? Yeah. And then I said, no, it's those are plastic. So that's the, oh. that's the time when I actually have like concern about like how selfish are human beings right now. And yeah, and also when I went surfing, um, when I come out from the water, mm. I just feel like there's stuff like around me mm. and I didn't really know what that is. I thought it's like jellyfish, oh. but actually those are plastic. Oh, So yeah, so it's like, oh my God, like I don't know what human beings are doing to this environment. You went surfing in Bali, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of garbage. Yeah. So what did you decide in your mind? So like first, I just wanted to try something small by like doing beach cleanup of stuff so that I can I can actually help the environment. So mm. yeah, so the first time that I do beach cleanup was in Hong Kong. You you joined a a, a beach, beach cleanup, cleanup in Hong Kong. activity. Oh yeah, in, in Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah, Shenzhen is very close to Hong Kong. I went to the beach in Hong Kong and I did the cleanup and I thought like, oh, there were just so many plastic, like so many garbage that we created, but. Like we are just so small that we cannot really like collect all of these. So it also made me sad. So mm-hmm. when I went back to Taiwan from like one of my vacations back then, so I also arranged a beach cleanup. I did it on uh, Mother's Day. Oh. You know why I did it on Mother's Day? Why? Because we call it like Mother Earth, right? 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh-uh. So I did it on Mother's Day, uh-huh. and I posted on Facebook, and yeah. So like, I just like contacting people and like posting on some kind of like Facebook group and stuff, uh-huh. and it ended up. Like quite well, there were like sixty, sixty, seventy people uh-huh. came, and we don't know each other. Yeah, but we all have like the same goal that like we have to clean it, and yeah, we are, we are like very aware of how like the environment and stuff. Yeah, so that makes me feel very uh, inspired. Uh-huh. As well. Yeah, yeah. So you started that beach cleaning by yourself, yeah. right? So then, what happened from that event? I'm just like still contacting, like still having contact with some other some people, yeah. And yeah, so like still thinking about what other what other kind of event that I can do from right. there. Like for me, I think because when I was there, I saw um, some family like um, parents taking their kids there as well. So I thought like maybe the education from kids. This would be a very good point to start, like making people aware, because if you see kids, like even those little kids, they are doing recycle or they are doing stuff like, like I don't know, whatever that you are not aware of, then you will be like, oh wow, what am I doing? And I'm, I'm an adult, mm, right? Yeah. yeah. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. That does a very good thinking and and a very good direction. But how are you going to go about doing that? Educating all the kids. I mean, I think I um right now I really have to think of like a better um program or whatever, and then like go back to con- contact like elementary school teacher or whatever. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, really. Is, so you have this you, is what I thinking. You're thinking. Yeah. So you haven't like started haven't really, the first yeah, step. Yeah, 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 but. But, but it's something always, you're thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is something that Educating I'm kids. Wow. Yeah. But that's a big job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big project. Are you going to be the one teaching it or are you going to find somebody to teach about it? I think I'm going to find a partner. I don't <laughs> think I'm like... Yeah. 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 So before this interview, we were talking and I say that you you probably really need somebody else. Yeah. At least one other person mm. to be in on this with you. Yeah. Because it's a big project. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a great project. It's a great idea. But to starting it, and the thing is that I'm sure there are other people in Taiwan mm. who are also thinking the same thing as you do. Yeah. If there's a way to get you all together yeah. and work on this, you know, it's something could come out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, well, you started, you know, this... Um, the first beach cleaning project that you started using Facebook. Yeah. So you can do the same. Yeah. Right? I think so. Finding yeah. someone who has the same mindset as you. Mm. And um, and it's to start off with educating little kids about the environment. Yeah. And loving the earth. So I think it can be done if you were to start something like that on Facebook, right? Find yeah. somebody. Not only one other person, but find a team probably. Find a, find a team, yes. Find a team, yeah. Yeah. And then this minimalism, it's very interesting that, uh, uh, you know, I'm talking to you and you're into minimalism because my second daughter is also, she's starting it. And she even says that as a busy person as she is, because she's a nurse, yeah. um, she says she wants to find time to come to my house and help me clean up my place <laughs> and minimize everything in my place. I'm going like, no, you don't want to do that. You know, it's too big a project. And I would feel sorry that you being someone with a busy schedule that you're going to come and help me but um yeah how did this 
idea uh, get into your mind? Did you happen to study or learn about someone who is a minimalist? Um, I think the first few moments that like came to my mind that this kind of thing came to my mind it was um, because of a movie. Oh, yeah. Um, this there is a movie called Into the Wild. And into the wild, yeah, okay. into the wild, and so this—it's a documentary. It's yeah, it's like based on the real story. Okay, yeah. So it's about like a guy. He was like having all these like very busy schedule and like very busy life, like a businessman or whatever. And all of a sudden, like one day, he just feel like all these things are just fake and. Yeah, it's just like it doesn't help him with his life. So he just sold everything and he bought a van. Yeah, and oh, then, a van. And then, okay. Yeah, a van. And then he went to Alaska, and so like he just like trying to like live wildly in Alaska. Yeah, in Alaska, he's by himself. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, I think I might have heard of this. I probably haven't watched that movie, but and then what happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I should say it. But yeah, oh. but yeah, it's just he. Ended up, I don't know, like died because he ate some kind of like oh, poison, oh, poison sorry. plants oh. and stuff like that. Oh. And now I feel bad about asking I, that. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, but what he was doing while he was living is a good thing, and it's yeah. maybe a little bit extreme. It's true. I mean, yeah, it's I'm a, now a I'm thinking extreme. about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I've never seen it, but um, but the idea is right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I know. I've. Um, I think I learned about some woman who actually produced a small bag of garbage for a whole year. Uh, oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, she tried to really minimize everything to the point where she only condensed all the garbage that she she had in a year yeah. into one small bag. Yeah, you know, and I was like, how do you do that? How do you do that? But um, it can be done, right? It can be done, but it's it mean it, it means making radical radical change to your lifestyle. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. how did you start? So Minim- becoming a minimalist. I mean, where did you start? What did you do? So I think like because you started from your uh, room. Yeah, I started from my. Is that room. the first thing you did? Yeah, I think I st- yeah I started from my room, but actually I've I'm that kind of person who don't really like to spend money on on things because I yeah I don't know oh, it's okay. just. Yeah, that's a start. Yeah, you were. I mean, you grew up that way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So like, I just started with my room, and I just like trying to throw away those things that I like seldom use, and or maybe like give it to someone else yeah. that they would need it. Uh-huh. So yeah, so like it's it's like a better use comparing to just like throwing things away. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay, I got all that. So to become a minimalist, you start from your own room. All right, fine, but uh, you know, trying to get rid of things that you don't think you need, I'm not sure I can do what Eileen did. I actually shared about my own dilemma in dealing with things that I should throw away. So tune in next week to find out what I would actually do or not do. For in the spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. <laughs>
classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to get a glimpse into the lives of women in the Tang Dynasty. From the ladies in the emperor's palace to a poor woman living in a hut. These come from three poets who wrote about them and whose works are collected in the 300 Tang Poem Anthology. The first poem is written by Shui Feng, and it's called A Palace Poem. In twelve chambers, the ladies for the day peer afar for their lord from their fairy view lodge the golden toad guards the lock on the door chain and the bronze dragon water clock drips through the morning till one of them tilting a mirror combs her cloud of hair and chooses new scent and a change of silk raiment. For she sees between screen panels deep in the palace eunuchs in court dress preparing a bed. This poem is called Beyond Seeing, and it's written by Sun Chi. A girl of the Lu clan who lives in Goldenwood Hall, where swallows perch in pairs on beams of tortoise shell. Here's the washing mallet's cold beat shake the leaves down. The Liaoyang expedition will be gone ten years. And messages are lost in the White Wolf River. Here in the city of the Red Phoenix, autumn nights are long. Where one who is heartsick to see beyond seeing sees only moonlight on the yellow silk wave of her loom. (laughs) ¶¶ 
The last poem is Qin Taoyu's poem called A Poor Girl. Living under a thatched roof, never wearing fragrant silk. She longs to arrange a marriage, but how could she dare? Who would know her simple face, the loveliest of them all? When we choose for worldliness, not for worth. Her fingers embroider beyond compare, but she cannot vie with painted brows. And year after year she has sewn gold thread on bridal robes for other girls. Those are some of the melancholy sentiments of women from all classes in the Tang Dynasty. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. From the London Underground to the Taipei Metro, the people of our world are going places. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. The Lunar New Year holidays are over, and Taiwanese people are busy traveling home. Amid this rush of travelers, some Taiwan railways trains have been found carrying more passengers than are allowed. It is obvious that the train scene in this footage is carrying more people than it's supposed to be. Over the Lunar New Year holidays, standing room on Taiwan Railways trains has been capped at 120 people per train. That means only 15 people are permitted to buy cheaper standing tickets per car. Railways management says the reason for this overcrowding is that some people have been violating rules by hopping on the trains using their smart cards used for taking Taipei's metro and other forms of public transportation. The management says that anyone found not to have purchased standing tickets will be charged an extra 50% or removed from the train immediately. Railways management says that the company will also increase train services on the last day of the holiday if necessary in order to prevent crowding in line with epidemic prevention measures. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Before the Lunar New Year, transport links between Taiwan and the outlying Penghu Islands were stretched thin as islanders working elsewhere return home to their families. 
The Penghu Islands are a group of 90 islands that sit off Taiwan's west coast in the Taiwan Strait. Many natives of these islands move to Taiwan's big cities to work and study, but when the Lunar New Year comes around, they return home en masse to visit family. Airlines have increased the size of the planes used to operate flights to the island's main airport, and ferries to the islands are packed, too. For many, getting to the islands is just the beginning of a long journey home. Most transit links from Taiwan stop at the island's main town, Magong, but there are 90 islands in total, and further ferry trips leaving from Magong are the only way to get to most of them. It's no wonder that people started leaving early, getting up before dawn on Wednesday to set out. Once the holiday is over, they'll do the whole trip again in reverse. It's tiring, but travelers from the island say there's no feeling as good as being at home for the holiday. John Van Trieste, RTI News. The Lunar New Year holidays are a time for people to stay home with family and relax. But not everyone gets time off work. Police officers stay on duty throughout the holiday to keep people safe. One of the person that was on duty this week, the president. It's the first day of the Lunar New Year. President Tsai Ing-wen arrives at a police station bright and early to thank the police officers who are on duty throughout the holiday. This is no ordinary police station, though. It's located in the same district as Taiwan's presidential office, so the officers keep a close eye on President Tsai. Today, she's watching out for them, delivering fruit and snacks to the police on duty. Tsai thanks them for the important role they've played during the pandemic. She says Taiwan has been recognized for its excellent prevention measures, and the police have played a key role tracking down quarantine violators and helping health officials trace contacts of COVID patients. Tsai pledges the government's full support for the police. Officers at the station present Tsai with a personalized card with a cartoon of the president in a police uniform. They wish Tsai a happy Lunar New Year, saying they hoped her pets got a lot to eat over the holidays. In response, the president says that her pets are due for a diet. Leslie Liao, RTI News. The Taipei city government has begun monitoring the size of crowds at 19 popular tourist spots and publishing its findings on a website. The website uses a color-coded system to let people know where the crowds are particularly big. The goal is to prevent overcrowding and encourage social distancing over the Lunar New Year holiday. Ximending, Dihua Street, Shilin Night Market, Songshan Cultural and Creative Park, Taipei Zoo and Taipei Children's Amusement Park. These are among the 19 big tourist attractions in Taipei that are subject to cross-size monitoring. The city government uses a three-color system to make it easy to see where the big crowds are. Places marked green are not crowded, places marked yellow are somewhat crowded, and places marked red are excessively crowded. One reason for monitoring crowd size is to minimize the risk of COVID-19. However, the city government won't impose crowd control measures, even at places where the crowds have gotten big. Instead, staff will be dispatched to crowded places and will hold a sign reminding people to maintain social distancing. The crowd monitoring program may need a bit more publicity. Reporters found that some people were unaware of the website with the color-coded icons. Taipei sees fewer people during the ongoing Lunar New Year holiday. But when it comes to preventing COVID-19, even smaller crowds are worth monitoring. 
This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. A business in the eastern county of Hualien has introduced a smart recycling machine that sorts materials automatically. This machine offers a reward to those who help protect the earth. No idea how to sort recyclables? This smart recycling machine can do it for you. Great school kids who have tried it out say it's easy to use. Hopefully, this machine will help with the problem of people who just dump recyclables without sorting them first. The smart recycling machine offers a reward to you. The more you recycle, the more points you can collect. These points can be used to get coupons at designated convenience stores. The world produces 400 million tons of plastic products a year, but less than 10% gets recycled. The amount of plastic garbage Taiwan alone produces each year takes up as much space as 14 Taipei 101s, Taipei's landmark skyscraper. With a machine like this, there's no excuse not to help protect the earth. The tradition of making wooden molds for confectionery is an old one in Taiwan. And while changing times and competition from machines have put a big dent in the work of traditional mold makers, not all have given in. Some are even working to adapt to newer tastes. A traditional treat called Anku Gui was and is a common sight at temple events and other celebrations in Taiwan. These treats are shaped like tortoises, and they get this special shape thanks to the use of an intricately carved wooden mold. Molds used for making confections like these can feature all sorts of designs, many of which are associated with good luck or long life. Though traditional confections have fallen somewhat out of favor, and though machine-made molds exist, the craftsmen behind these molds continue to work as always. Sometimes they can still get enormous commissions. Tsai Rongxing of Ilan County used an entire tree trunk to make one 2009 piece commissioned for a temple event. It was then the largest mold in existence, measuring more than four meters across. But more often, they find work harder to come by these days. Tai Rongxing, for one, isn't giving up, though. He has turned to carving keychains, smartphone covers, and other more contemporary works of art that appeal to current tastes. The traditional motifs have stayed, though, spreading appreciation of this type of traditional craftsmanship to new generations. John Van Trieste, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 
at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. RTI, exercise for your mind. I'm hoping that we could bring choreographers and dancers because what I've always tried to do is to uh, promote what I call cultural dialogue. So it's not only to bring to you what we have, but to get the Taiwanese community involved into that so that we learn from each other. Hello and welcome to this week's Underline brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Mr. Martin Torres, head of Mexico office in Taiwan, said he's been actively promoting cultural exchanges between Taiwan and Mexico. The Day of the Dead or Dia de Muertos has been celebrated in Taiwan for many years, but it was not until last year that it had the biggest celebration in Taiwan. Mr. Martin Torres said when he brought up the idea with the mayor of Taipei City, Mayor Kowenjo, in 2019, the mayor thought it was a good idea to demonstrate Taipei's diversity as an international city. So in 2020, the Mexico office in Taiwan worked with the Taipei City government to bring Mexico to the public. And to find out more, we are joined today by Mr. Martin Torres, head of Mexico office in Taiwan. I had a meeting with uh, with Mayor Ko at the beginning of uh, of 2019, and um, w- during the conversation, it came up that um, there was an interest uh, on on behalf of, of of the city government to do more international events, and I immediately mentioned to him the possibility that we could do this exhibition at City Hall. And uh, he was very accepting and gracious about it. And um, eventually, we built a very constructive and and positive uh, working relationship with his people. And and that's how we could we could do the largest ever installation of the Day of the Dead uh, at City Hall. I, it, it turned out to be very successful, not only because of the high turnout that we had in the inauguration, but all, all, for all the people that actually came during the week that it was exhibited. We, we know that there was more than 2,000 visitors um, wow. that came during that week. <laughs> and and also, it had a very important media um, coverage. Uh, coverage. Yes. And, and, we and did so, that as well. <laughs> you, you, you certainly did. It was very, very important. And um, and that that I think was the actual effect that I wanted. It's very difficult to um, not not necessarily to accept, but to conceive because you have a different notion uh, of the dead and and the afterlife. And 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 for for even though you also have a month dedicated to that, it, it's seen into a different perspective. For us, it's not a scary thing. Farther from nothing, farther from the truth. For us, it's it's a very festive occasion, as as you experienced that. To me, it was very important to showcase that because it it also manifests a, a very important expression of the historical Mexican soul, and not only that, it's because it's it's a very vivid tradition. It's it's something that continues to evolve, even though it's centuries old. So so to me, the fact that the 
Taiwanese community came to appreciate it was highly viable and I, I very appreciative. At least you have broken um, the stereotype of most Taiwanese, you know, tours like a ghost festival. Uh, for your information, for our listeners out there, if you don't know what uh, the Day of the Dead or Dia de Mortos is what about, in 2008, the festivities was recognized by UNESCO as intangible cultural heritage of humanity. Uh, so given its importance as a defining aspect of culture and the unique features of the celebration, which has been uh, passed down through generations and uh, this celebration was even featured in the movie of uh, James Bond movie Spectre in 2015 so uh, if you missed that movie or if you have seen that movie you might know what this uh, celebration is all about and you have uh, Mr. Martin Torres uh, brought uh, Mexico into Taiwan so what other activities uh, that you have uh, held here in Taiwan, which impressed the Taiwanese apart from the Day of the Dead? Well, we, you know, our, our heritage, uh, cultural heritage is so rich. Um, it's just like yours. Uh, yours actually is more ancient than ours. We, we, we go back 3,000 years. You, you go back more than 4,000 years. Uh, but we are actually one of the very few uh, civilizations that are so ancient and at the same time so, so lively. So there are so many... Uh, artistic and cultural expressions that we have to showcase that uh, that's really part of the variety we don't have to think too hard what to organize next because there are so many possibilities um, but I do want to um, convey that richness to the Taiwanese community so so uh, you know we've, we've tried to do a little bit of everything uh, two years ago together with the National Taipei University of the Arts we participated in their Kwandu Festival uh, of uh, Cinema and uh, they had uh, as guest of honor the School of Cinema of, of the National Autonomous University of Mexico so we presented a few films we had two, um, two um, cinema makers coming and, and interact with the students and they gave some uh, some uh, you know master classes one of them the you know the professor from from Nam. um we we have uh, participated a couple of years in a row at the international um, uh, festival of of the arts in in uh, in um, in your neighboring uh, city that is very traditional for that um, they also have a traditional folkloric uh, festival there. Um, so whenever we can showcase either performing arts or, uh, you know, um, plastic arts or, or music or whatever, we try to do it. We had also, it had been a dream of mine to, 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 to showcase some of our classical music. So, so we had also the chance in 2018 to, to bring um, a pianist, a young pianist, uh, that performed at different venues, um, contemporary Mexican composers. Um, and um, now I'm, I'm hoping to be able, because one of your, 
also have such a tradition in 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 the fine arts uh, but one of them is for sure the the, the dance contemporary dance so uh, I'm hoping that we could bring some um, uh, you know uh, choreographers and dancers to do an exchange here uh, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I would love to see that happening because what I've always tried to do is to uh, promote uh, what I call cultural dialogue. This is Radio Taiwan International. So it's not only not, it's not only to to bring to you what we have, but to get the Taiwanese community involved into that so that we learn from each other. Uh, at the um, Day of the Dead celebrations, for example, ever since I got here in 2017, when we did it for the first time during my tenure, even at the office, I invited uh, students from, from Taiwanese universities to participate. And, and they've been doing it ever since. We've done it We've done it with Tam Ka Chang, we've done it with uh, Fu Yen, we've done it with uh, Shen Yi, we've done it with several universities. And, and that's been very successful because then, then the students get really into it and, and, and learn and, and also actually can actually... Um, you know, uh, also uh, supplies some of the some of their own traditions and, and bring them into 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 our tradition. So uh, we we hope that we will be able to 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 bring new expressions and continue doing others. We have a couple of artists that live here from Mexico. They've been doing also a very important contribution. They've been working with local artists. Actually, this year we're going to have an exhibition. Um, at the office of uh, a Mexican artist that has been working together with children on the one hand and with Taiwanese artists using his own technique but using Mexican culture to produce uh, abstract paintings. Mm -hmm. And so this is a total uh, you know, intertwining of, of cultures and, and talents. And we're going to showcase that uh, this year. And I, I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things. And another thing that we're very, very proud of, and we already have uh, introduced for the first time uh, the, this last weekend at the National Central Library, was a publication of a children's book. Bilingual. It was published by a Ediciones Catay, which is a, a, a an editorial a publisher that publishes basically in, in Spanish. But it's a Taiwanese one, and it was, which is a really an encounter of the Hispanic and the Chinese cultures, um, and also a, a work done by a, a writer and and a journalist from Taiwan that was working with the indigenous communities in southeastern Mexico. So this is a really beautiful. Um, um, Con, you know, complementation that has been expressed in the publication of a book, which is for children, showcasing traditions, tales of of, of that part of of that part of Mexico. Those are really the um, their ancestors are the Mayans, so these are the current Mayans, um, and and there is beautifully illustrated. It's it's very very simple tales that children can read, and it's being published in 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 Mandarin and in Spanish. Uh, we are going to uh, do another presentation at the uh, Taipei International 
book book uh, fair. Yeah. Yes, and we will do another presentation uh, next month, early next month, at the uh, public library in Kaohsiung. Mm-hmm. So, so we're hoping that more and more people will get to see this book, and and that uh, children will get to be familiarized uh, with uh, with these tales and with this book, so they'll learn a little bit of of, of our culture, of ancestral culture as well. Well, Mr. Martin Torres actually is a very seasoned uh, diplomat. Uh, you've been stationed in different countries in the world, including in many uh, cities as a consulate general in uh, different parts of the U.S. and also um, in the Qatar, you know, in the Czech Republic, and even in Malaysia, and now in Taiwan. Did you know that you were going to be posted in Taiwan before you actually assumed the office here? Um. I, I, I did, and I was very, very happy about it. Um, because there was a connection with Taiwan before? It was, there was a connection um, that, uh, of course, it, it goes back many, many, many years. Um, because I, 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 I did meet, when I was um, still a teenager, a, a, um, an artist, a painter. Uh, from Taiwan, I didn't know at the time that she was from Taiwan, <laughs> uh, Liang Dangfeng, and and um, she actually did a portrait of mine. She did two with a pencil, um, because I, what I remember of her is that we were traveling. We were traveling. Uh, I was in in Europe. I, we, I, I met her in Denmark. I was on my way to Norway because I was going to be a student there for a year. And um, as I was traveling through Europe uh, to get to Norway, that you know Copenhagen was my last day, and that's where that's where I met her. Um, and I remember that something that called my attention was that she took no pictures; that everything that she saw was she drew. And and I remember her drawing this very famous um, little mermaid uh, on a stone, which is you know the um, parameter of, uh, of uh, you know so. Of, of Copenhagen, um, and 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 um, and she gave me this portrait, and I didn't remember that she had kept one for herself. And she she asked me to sign it and date it. And so, uh, after many years that I had a portrait, every time I moved from one place to the other, I kept it in a folder. It would come up, and then I would shut it down, remember her, and then. But now. And the previous time uh, of my move from from Qatar to Malaysia, with Google, then I said, "Oh, maybe maybe this person is well known." So I'll, I Google her, and it turned out that she was very well known, <laughs> and that she was from Taiwan. So when when um, when I knew that I was coming here, then I uh, through a friend that has been living here uh, many years, uh, he's from Mexico. Um, I told him the story, and and he found her. So I got to meet her again after. 40 plus years incredible so um, that was really my only but I believe very significant connection to Taiwan before I got before I came here even when you were a teenager yeah, the great connection between Mexico and Taiwan. Yeah. And we've been joined in a studio today by the head of the Mexican Trade Services Documentation and Culture Office, Mr. Martin Torres. And that wraps up this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. For more information about this program, please visit en.rti.org.tw. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.